Welcome. We're so glad you've taken this opportunity to grow your faith by listening to this teaching. At CLC, it is our heart to see every believer equipped to fulfill the plan that God has for your life. For more information about Celebration Life Church, you can visit our website at celebrationlife.ca. Now let's hear some faith-building teaching from Pastor Jason McGay. If you brought your Bibles with you today or have your Bible app with you today, Genesis chapter 2. All right. And let's start in verse 4. I'm going to read a few verses here. Starting in verse 4, it says this. Uh, this is the history of the heavens and the, of the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But there went up a mist or a fog or vapor from the land and watered the whole surface of the ground. Verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath or the spirit of life, and man became a living being. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden. Eden means delight. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight or to be desired, good for food. The tree of life also in the center of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, of blessing and calamity. Now, a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it is divided and became four heads. The first is, and it goes on to describe this river, but we'll stop there. So you can see the picture of what God had created, the Garden of Eden. You know, there's a lot that can be understood about who God is and his character and his nature. Notice he did not put Adam in the ghetto of Eden. And he had to, you know, struggle and, you know, maybe do something illegal so that he could make a little money on the side because it was just tough growing up in the ghetto. He didn't do that. He put him in a garden. So you can tell something about God. If you notice this garden, it had a river that ran through it. This garden had a river that ran through it, and there was plenty of water. It watered the garden. So there were all sorts of trees and plants of all kinds. And then he put man in the middle of this garden. And the man himself he made from the dust of the earth. So he took his body from the dirt, and he breathed the spirit of life into him. And when he did that, that dirt <laughs> became a living being. Right? I mean, even science tells us that your body is made up of, like, all the components of the earth. Yeah. Right? That's right? Hallelujah. So this is how God made man. He made man to live in a garden. And so you think, well, why am I starting with this today? Because where I'm going with it, you may wonder why. And here's where I want to go with this today. 
since Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden and they were expelled, man has had to work and toil by the sweat of his brow to provide for himself. You know, one thing about this garden, it was not the desert of Eden. You think about deserts, and we have lots in the world, deserts, right? And you, for example, think about the Nile. So have, if you've ever, some, maybe some of you have actually been down the Nile on a tour of some kind. But um, if you've ever seen some of those videos, they have those aerial shots of the Nile. You know, they have the drone that goes up and you can see. If you notice, uh, as they, for at least good portions of the Nile, there is this lush green vegetation and farmland for a few miles that extends out from the riverbanks of the Nile. But outside of that, it's desert, it's sand, it's wilderness, and nothing is growing there. Maybe a little shrub here and there, some dried stick sticking out of the ground. That's all that you have. You have, in that area, you have a lot of, what, you have a lot of like uh, wild animals, right? Yeah, nasty ones, wild beasts. And as you read your Bible, particularly in the prophets, but in other areas as well, you'll find that that kind of imagery is used to describe a spiritual condition. So you'll find the prophets, particularly Isaiah, I've been reading a lot of Isaiah, so I've noticed it a lot recently. He often will use that imagery to describe the spiritual condition of the people of Israel. And he'll talk about things like a wasteland that's barren, where nothing grows. It's desert. It's the haunt for jackals, right? And snakes and scorpions. And all those are pictures of evil things, harmful things. But you see, it's called a desert because there's no life there. It exists. It's there. But it, there's no life going on there. There's no green shrub. There's nothing like that. It's very, life is very scarce there. It's not growing there. Whereas the Garden of Eden is plenteous, full of life. Hallelujah. So God is describing a spiritual condition when he uses that imagery, particularly in the Old Testament, you'll see that. And he's talking about his people. He's talking about the world in one sense, but he's also talking about his people. You think, well, why would he talk about that? Well, what I'd like to talk to you about today is our own spiritual condition. And there's something that I have observed that I want to make mention of. And that is Christians can find themselves in a place of dryness, spiritual dryness. You've even heard, I'm sure if you've been in Christian circles long enough, someone say, Oh, pray for me, brother. I'm going through a wilderness. This is just my wilderness now. And sometimes they talk about it as if God put them in that wilderness. Right? And you think, well, well, what's someone talking about when they say wilderness? This is my wilderness experience. Well, you know, like I said, the Old Testament's full of imagery and actual events of Israel going through a wilderness. Um they were only meant to quickly go through the wilderness. When God brought them up out of Egypt, he brought them out of the land of slavery, right? Brought them out, and they were healthy. They actually had lots of gold with them, and away they go, and here they are, and 
you know, the Lord says, well, we'll, we'll take this route here. It'll be about, I think if I remember correctly, someone was saying it was about like 11 days it would have taken them to get to the promised land. And again, the promised land was what? Um, a land flowing with milk and honey. It speaks of abundance and prosperity. It speaks of a great wealth, right? He's, the Lord told them, I mean, there are the nations that had been living in there. They've built cities with walls. They've dug wells. They've planted gardens and vineyards. And you don't have to do any of that. And it's like the land takes care of itself. Well, isn't that what like Eden was like? Where the land took care of itself. Because that's how God provides for us. Hallelujah. So they were only supposed to spend about 11 days or so. On that track from Egypt to Canaan, the promised land, that God had said, this is your land. It took him a little bit longer than that. Yeah, 11 days plus 40 years. It took 40 years. And I mean, you can go through the Old Testament there and read the account and you know, it's interesting to read because at first they're like, they send in the spies. Well, let's just really just check this place out and see what we're up against because God had told them you're going to drive out the nations that inhabit those lands, the land of Canaan. So they send out the spies. And of course, you know the story, probably heard it in Sunday school. And the 12 spies come back and 10 give an evil report and only two give a good report, right? And so what happens? All Israel cries because they are they like to vote and have faith in the majority. So they all cry and get upset because 10 said it was terrible. And, they, and then God says, well, fine, back into the desert you go. And after they realize, wait a minute, we don't want to go back in the desert. No, we're going to go up and we're going to fight. And God says, no, I said go back in the desert. And of course, they disobeyed and go, we're going to go anyway, even if you said not to God. We're going to go. This is our land. You know, yeah, there's a lot to be said there too. And goes back and tries to get up to the land. And what happens? The enemies crush them dramatically. And they all, with their tail tucked between their legs, they wander back into the desert. So they had a wilderness experience. Yes. They had a wilderness experience for 40 years because of disobedience. That's why they had a wilderness experience. So you hear Christians sometimes saying, oh, I'm just going through a wilderness experience. Brother, pray for me. And if you ever hear someone say that to you, you might want to say, are you in disobedience? Are you in disobedience? Because that generation that came up out of Egypt died in the wilderness you might be a little concerned for your brother and sister in the Lord if they're telling you, I'm going through a wilderness experience because you might say, are you going to die? Are you going to die? Because that's what happened to Israel in the wilderness. They, that generation died in the wilderness. Now, as you also know, that generation died, but God was raising up a new generation. And all of his people, he faithfully provided for them miraculously. The soles of their shoes didn't wear out for 40 years. Their clothing kind of grew to fit them if they were kids and growing up. Like, he provided manna. I mean, even then they complained. Here's food falling out of heaven. And we're going to find a reason to complain about that. Food in the middle of the desert where there is no food... 
and God's miraculously providing it. And, well, I wish I had some leeks and onions back in Egypt. And then, you know, well, at least we, if we could only just get a little meat, God says, fine, here's some quail. And then they get all this quail, and they're like, wow, quail, until they're sick of quail. And then they're grumbling, well, quail, quail in the morning, quail in the afternoon, quail in the evening, and grumble and complain again. Again, there's a whole lot of grumbling and complaining that goes on in the wilderness. So you can take a little check in your own spiritual life and condition and say, am I grumbling and complaining a lot? It might be because I'm in a wilderness. Hallelujah. And you know, as much as God provided for everyone, he did so, right? He fed them, he clothed them, he protected them, he brought them water out of a rock, right? Miraculous events. And God may move miraculously in our lives to get you that job that you thought you'd never get, to heal your body. He might provide for you miraculously and will do so because he loves you, he cares for you, he will provide for you. But you know that wasn't his best. His best was for them to be in Canaan, in the promised land, full of abundance. That was his best. And you might be in a wilderness condition spiritually, and you might see a miracle from time to time, but I'm telling you, that isn't God's best for you. He loves you, He'll take care of you, even in your wilderness, and He will provide miracles for you, but that isn't His best. He wants you in the promised land. He wants you in that type of Eden, that place where provision is for you, where the river flows and life abounds. Hallelujah. That's, where he, that's what He wants for you. Hallelujah. Can you say amen to that? Amen. amen. So, the wilderness is a type and a shadow of a spiritual condition that believers might find themselves in. Now, you don't have to find yourself in that condition, but you could. And like I said, it's primarily because of disobedience. That's how you find yourself in there. So what does this condition look like in the life of a Christian? How would you know? We've identified a couple things. Disobedience. Grumbling and complaining. I'm going to add a few more to that. Remember we were just talking about miracles? The dependence on God for a miracle to get you out of your problem. And only a miracle can do it. Only a miracle of God can get me out of this. If that's our way of thinking, we might be in a desert. Again, it's not that God doesn't love you and want to provide for you. He absolutely does. He absolutely will. I'm talking about our mentality, our, our place. In a place where the water flows freely, life abounds. The Garden of Eden, right? Can you just imagine for a moment... And it would be easy enough to, to, it's not too far of a stretch. None of us were here in Eden, so, you know. But we've all been in a, in a lush garden of some kind, right? Have you been to, like, a, the Bouchard Botanical Gardens or even here in Vancouver, the Queen, Queen Elizabeth one, right? Yeah, Queenie ones, yeah. Oh, there's also Van Dusen, yeah. Have you been there? Have you been to Stanley Park? 
You know, there's a thing that they call it. They call it uh, recreation, which is an interesting word to use. Parks and recreation. Go to the park. Why? There's something about creation in that park, right? We were just reading about that. But you go to a, what is it that you experience while you're at the park? Why do people go there? For peace. So they get a sense of what? Refreshing. What is it about? Tell me. What is it about a park that's refreshing? Hmm? Nature. What's that? Yeah. You're not thinking about work or stress or anything. It's just, yeah, peace, stress-free. Right? You enjoy the beauty of what God has made. You're like, wow, look at how tall those trees are, or the water as it comes up and hits the seawall, and you know, the, all the pebbles in the, the rocky beach that's there, and you sit down for you know, maybe an hour and eat your lunch, and the sound of the water is calming and soothing, and, or you're in the park, and it's a sunny day, and the temperature's just right, and you got your lawn chair there, and you're stretched out, and having a bite to eat, and watching the kids play on the swings, or the, par- or the playground, Right, and you're just hanging out there, and the sun is coming through the trees a little bit. There's a light, warm breeze. Maybe you set up a hammock. My wife likes to set up a hammock, and you set up a hammock, and it's just the perfect temperature to take a nap. And it's just, it's so peaceful and relaxing. And then maybe you got some buddies with you, and you're gonna play soccer or football or throw the frisbee around in the big open field for a little while. Maybe your kids are running around in circles in the park, chasing one another or chasing the seagulls or something like that, right? But what is it that there's a joy there? There's a peace there. There's life there, right? And that's just a natural thing that creates a feeling in you. It's a natural thing that God made that creates a feeling in you. Now, that feeling is wonderful while you're there. And, you know, you go back home, you drive home and fight traffic on the way home, Saturday traffic, no one wants to drive properly, it seems, and you're stuck, you need to get home because you're going to put that, you know, a roast in the oven or what it is, whatever, you know what I mean? And then next thing you know, you're back at home. You're like, oh, we forgot to clean this. And, and, and something's going on with the car. It's like, well, we better take care of that now. And, and next thing you know, you're back to the busyness of life again. And that feeling has gone away. <laughs> it lasted for a little while. But then the regularity and the, the issues of life come back and that feeling goes away again. Because those feelings are totally based on where you are physically at that moment. Hallelujah. Likewise, your feelings may also be an indicator of where you are at spiritually at this moment. Because if you're in a desert spiritually at this moment, you might not be enjoying all that peace and joy that you have while you're in the garden. Hallelujah. And you think, well, what can I do about this? You might think, some other indicators may be to you, you know, it just seems like the, I hear the the sermon on Sunday and it's, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've heard that before. It's not really speaking to me. It's not really doing anything for me this Sunday. 
Or, you know, you go to pray, and really, when you go to pray, it's just more like doing your good Christian duty. I'm going to pray. You're not really sure if God hears you, but, you know, you better pray anyways, because that's what a good Christian does. So you pray, and you're struggling to find things to pray about after you're done your laundry list of needs. You've gone through your list of everything you want God to do for you, and now you're like, well, now what do I say? And you look at your watch and you go, okay, well, 15 minutes has gone by. I guess that's good enough. And off you go to work. That is, if you did that in the morning. It could be at the end of the evening. And, you know, your prayer is more like, oh, God, as you put your head down on the pillow. But, you know, some people, you know, they, they look at that and then they wonder why they don't have any strength to live right. And it just becomes a struggle to live the way that God wants us to live. And you know better, but you find you don't have the... You did a while ago. I remember when I got saved, it was just like anything that God had said in His Word was alive to me. And I just wanted to do everything right. And I had joy all the time. I was so thankful for Jesus saving me. And I was just going out and telling people. And it was the easiest thing to do. It's just like rolled out of my out of my mouth, words about who Jesus is and what he's done. And I just had peace and joy. It was just so easy just to live this way. And anything that was good and right to do, it's like, okay, yeah, I can do this. And you had motivation. And now, maybe years have gone by. And now it's just like, well, I don't really talk to anyone about Jesus. That's their own private thing. You know, I don't want to disturb or bother them or anything. And you think, you know, well, I'm just, you know, I know God's looking after taking care of me, but it's, it's a grind out there. I just got to, I got to make it happen or it's not going to happen. And, you know, I used to have all this peace and joy, but, you know, I've just kind of settled down now in my Christianity and just kind of normalized how things are in the real world around me. And, yeah, I've got my faith, you know, and I believe but, you know, it's just, we're, we just have to live a life here down here on the earth, you know. And one day when we get to heaven, well, you know, then I can be excited and celebrate. But right now I'm just being realistic with what's happening around me. Wilderness. Hello. In the wilderness. You know, I want to live right, but I just find it just, it's just a struggle. I can't seem to break out of these circles and cycles and circles as I wander around in the desert for 40 years, circling, circling, circling. You know, I just seem to, yeah, oh, I heard a good sermon. That was good. I, that was pretty good. And yeah, you know, I think I can do that. But then, you know, uh, what was that sermon again? I don't remember. I'm too busy right now. You know what? That was great. But hey, we all got to live the real life down here, right? There we go. And then we come to church one day, and three months later, I heard a good sermon again. That was amazing. That was great. And then, you know, three months later, we're back to where we were again, circling around the desert, circling. Wilderness. This is the wilderness you're experiencing. Brothers and sisters, God does not want you to die out in the wilderness. I have some good news for you. There's really good news here. And I'm not telling you this because I've never been in this state that I'm talking to you about. (laughs) I have. And it's horrible. 
is horrible because you know better, but you're not experiencing that better thing you know. And you're constantly aware of the gap. The gap between what could be happening in your life, what you had tasted and seen once before, but not experiencing today. I have some good news for you. So we've been talking about wilderness, but in the Garden of Eden, there is a river that flows through it. Oh, hallelujah. There is a river that flows through it, and there is the tree of life, praise God. So you can imagine just in a physical sense, going just like you would go to Stanley Park and think about what that's like. Now, can you imagine if everywhere that you went physically, get up in the morning, go to work or whatever it is that you're doing, but you took the garden with you on the inside. You took the park with you on the inside wherever you went. And then you've always got the park. So your boss could be screaming like, oh, no, we've got to get sales up by 30% in less than two months. You need to hit those phones. And you still have the garden on the inside because that's where you are on the inside. You've got the garden flourishing and you've got peace. You've got joy. You've got life in you, praise God. Hallelujah. You are, as the scriptures say, a well-watered garden. And that river flows through you, praise God, and life just springs up everywhere on the inside. And it doesn't matter how barren the world may be, you are an oasis, praise God. Hallelujah. There might be a desert out there where people see mirages. Oh, there's a lot of those out there. And unfortunately, there's too many Christians that have been far too long out in the desert to where they see mirage. You know what a mirage is, right? Everyone understand what that is? It's when you're so thirsty, so hungry, so thirsty, and you're in the middle of a wilderness, just a barren desert, there's no life, that it actually causes you to imagine, oh, there's a palm tree over there, a tree. And, and it, it looks like there's this shimmering. It could be water over there. And next thing you know, you're like, there's water over there. And you, you just get whatever strength that you can, and you run over there, and then you stick your head down in the dirt, and it's just sand because there's no water there. It was a mirage. It was your mind playing tricks on you. And there's a lot of Christians that have settled because of their own spiritual lack, their own spiritual desert or wilderness experience, and have settled for mirages of spirituality that the devil throws out there. And remain in that same condition that they were before. Because their mind is playing tricks on them. Because they're so thirsty. Jesus said, come unto me. And what? I will give you a drink by which you will never thirst again. As believers, that should be our place. Actually, it's not in my notes, so give me a moment to find it. We're going to look at it. I think it's John chapter 6. 
I want you to see what Jesus is saying here. John chapter 6. Now, this is after Jesus had fed the multitudes in the wilderness, actually. Bread from heaven. Well, it was, he broke the bread and it multiplied miraculously. Two loaves and five fish. And if we go down to, let me find it. I apologize, it's not in my notes. And we will probably look at this when we do communion in a little bit. Yeah. No, that's not the one that I want. It's in here. Well, there's a lot in there that's very good. We could spend a lot of time reading all of that. Okay, so the closest one, it's in here. Forgive me, I didn't flag the verse beforehand. If anyone's quick on their phone, they may be able to figure it out and find it. In verse 51, he says, I am this living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. I am also the bread of life that I shall give, that I shall give for the life of the world. Is it 35? There it is. Thank you. It is 35 that I'm looking for. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never be hungry, and he who believes in and cleaves to and trusts in and relies on me, amplified here, right, will never thirst anymore. Now, did Jesus mean what he said? We've been singing about that this morning, right? He meant what he said. So as believers, spiritually, we should never be thirsty. We should never be hungry because there's lack everywhere. No, we have a continual feast, praise God. In Christ Jesus, that is our lot. That's our portion. Spiritually speaking, we should never thirst. We should never be hungry. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Turn with me to John 7. Now, as you turn to John 7 and you look at verse 37, I'm also going to refer back to something that happened in the Old Testament with Isaac. So we remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Remember those guys? So... Abraham had dug some wells in a valley. He dug these wells so that, you know, I mean, it's quite arid, the land that he was in. And so there's obviously a need for water. And as, as you may know, uh, aquifers, aquifers carry water through rocks underground, like underground rivers. And they have, interestingly enough, there are people... I think this is an actual job, that are called water diviners. And they go around in places to figure out, and I have no idea how they do that, they figure out exactly where the water comes closest to the surface so that they can dig down and find water below the surface. Such a good image, yes? So they're digging down through the earth, 
Adam was made from the dust of the earth. So they dig down through the earth until they find water. And they build a well to this water so that at any time someone could just come along, lower a bucket, and draw water up from the well. And that water then can, you know, feed, quench their thirst, quench the thirst of their livestock, water their gardens, so on and so forth, right? So Abraham had dug these wells. And after he had passed and years had passed, Isaac comes along, but the Philistine, or I guess it would just be the Gentiles in that particular case, you would say, those that were outside of the covenant, those that didn't know God, they came along and filled in the wells. They came in and filled in, so now you don't have access to the well anymore. You don't have access, sorry, to the water in the well anymore. They came along and filled it all in. And so Isaac came in, and this was his land, and redug the wells so that he could have access to water. Hallelujah. Now, you may or may not have heard that verse before, and if, you've had, if you had, you would have heard it in connection with something else. Often that verse is used to describe this thing that we do sometimes. So, let me back up a little bit. Go back to the park for a minute. You're in the park, you're in the Garden of Eden. It's lush, it's green, there's peace, there's joy, there's life there. That experience that we have comes only by the Spirit of God. Now, when you're physically at Stanley Park, okay, not, not so much by the Spirit of God because it's a park. But I'm talking about internally, the peace and the joy that that represents, the life that it represents is brought to you is, is the result of the life of God in you, that river that flows. That's what brings that life. It's the water of life. Jesus spoke of that many, many times, the water of life. And so this water is what makes the garden grow. And this water is what causes you to have the same kind of life. That peace and that joy and all the fruit of the Spirit, it is the Spirit of life in you that causes that to happen. Amen? Hallelujah. So, often people will talk about things where God has moved miraculously in times past. Okay? We call them revivals. Where God has moved in a, an extraordinary way. And what happens in a revival? Has anyone read about that? Like the I, Pastor Gwen, particularly the Welsh revival, being from Wales. So her family's from Wales. So knows about what happened. There were some people, and they, they decided to, you know, we're going to pray and seek the Lord. You know, we want to see God move upon the hearts of the people in this land and change this land. And so they began to seek God and pray. And I won't tell the whole story. But God answered that prayer 
and began to move on the hearts of people. So God's presence began to move on people's hearts, inside, the inside part. God's spirit began to move upon people, and they began to change. And so when we talk about revival, we talk about suddenly there's people that are just flocking to get to church as often as the doors are open. And they worship God, and they praise God, and God's presence is sensed and, and, and felt and known in their midst. And something happens to them where their hearts change, and they're not bitter any longer, and they're not overburdened with stressful situations anymore. They have that peace, they have that joy, they have that life, and then they go out and they begin to share that with other people, and that catches on with other people, and other people suddenly get excited about this, and they themselves experience God's presence. And so when we talk about that, we see often that that can spread and impact a whole region, a city, a region, and even a nation can experience that. And we call that revival because before spiritually, it was wilderness. It was dead. It was dry and nothing was happening. And that was evidenced by the sinful behavior of the people. And then God's spirit comes along and pours out upon flesh. And next thing you know, people's hearts are changed and they're excited about the things of God. They're excited about God and they themselves are different. They are like that well-watered garden, and they are full of life, hallelujah, full of the life and presence of God, and their behaviors change, and they're excited, and it lasts sometimes for a few months, a few years, and then it often, we call it revival because it happened then, and we're not in it now. It's where the river had flowed and life sprang up everywhere. What was a desert became a lush garden in the lives of people. It was where the well was accessible and the water came up and watered everything and people were excited. Hallelujah. We call that revival. I would think you'd be a little bit more excited about that. Praise God. And so we call that or people call that, well, we, we need to get back to that place. We need a move of God again. We're so thirsty. We're so dry. We need a move of God again. And, and we think, well, if we could just go back and do what they did, then maybe God will do the same thing in our city, in our church, in our nation. And so they go back and try to reproduce what happened. And we call that redigging the well. Similarly, in your own personal life, you may find yourself in a place where it's just, it's just dry spiritually. Not a whole lot happening. You're not excited about God's word. You're not excited about prayer. You're not getting answers to prayer. You don't have that peace and that joy in you. It's a struggle to live right. Desert, wilderness. And you might think, I need to redig this well. I, I, need to, I need to pump myself up. But I have some good news for you, praise God. John chapter 7, verse 37. Now on the final and most important day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried in a loud voice, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Have you come to Jesus at any point? Okay, then you got this. 
then this is yours and you have this. He said, whoever believes in me, do we have believers in the house? Someone who believes and puts their confidence in, their trust in, who relies on Jesus. It says that he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, from his innermost being, from his heart, from his innermost being, shall flow springs and rivers of living water. But he was speaking here of the Spirit of God, whom those who believed in him were afterward to receive. Hallelujah. He's talking about the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, the river of life. That's what he's talking about there. And it's conditional on what? You doing a whole bunch of stuff? Redigging wells? No. Believing in Jesus. Again, do I have believers in this house? Have you come to Jesus? Then this is talking about you. At the very most innermost part of who you are, there is a river, praise God. There is a spring, hallelujah. And it doesn't matter how dry you may feel on the outside, there is a spring of life, a river of life on the inside of you that is just waiting to be uncapped, hallelujah, and flow out from your innermost being and water your whole self, spirit, soul, and body, praise God, to where your mind is full of life, the mind that is controlled by the Spirit, is life and peace, praise God. Romans chapter 8. His Spirit is just sitting there in the inside of you and I. And all He's looking for is someone to believe in Jesus. Put your confidence in Him. You say to Him, Lord, You are my Lord. You say, Lord, Jesus, You have saved me. Your life is in me. And there is no reason for me to be a desert. It's not based on how I feel or I just didn't feel God today. It's based on believing Jesus. Whether you feel like it or not, you put your confidence in Him. And you say, this is true always. The river of life is in me, praise God. And I'm just going to rejoice and thank God that the river of life is in me. And when you act in faith, the river flows. Hallelujah. When you stand up and act in faith, the river of God's presence flows from the inside of you. Too many of our people are sitting around waiting for the river to flow. It's called dry dock. They're in the boat in dry dock, waiting for the river to flow. You ain't going anywhere in dry dock. Hallelujah. Instead, let's put our confidence in Jesus. How many of you here have seen Jesus personally? He physically appeared to him. You grabbed him and handled him like doubting. Don't call doubting Thomas, doubting Thomas in heaven. You won't like that. Handled him physically. No, none of you. But do you believe that he was raised from the dead? bodily physically you believe that right but you can't feel that but you believe it you can't feel it but you believe it you are already on the right track hallelujah glory to God you're already on the right track let's continue with that I might not feel like it Jesus but I have my faith in you hallelujah My confidence is in you. You are Lord, like we sang this morning. He is Lord, praise God. 
My confidence is in you, and it doesn't matter what a desert it might be out there. I am a wellspring of life, praise God. The river flows from within me, hallelujah, and I am a well-watered garden, praise God. The life of God is springing up all throughout me, praise the Lord, and I am an oasis to those that are in the desert, praise God. You come into their midst, and they're dry. They're bone dry, hallelujah. They're like Ezekiel's dry bones in the valley and you might be looking go can these bones live and lord you know but you get to be that breath praise god that river of life in the midst of those dry bones in the midst of the desert you go to work and it's dead there spiritually it's dry people are cranky and you come in and you're full of joy. You got a big smile on your face and they pile that stack of paperwork on your desk twice as high as it was yesterday and you're still smiling because the river is flowing, praise God. The river is flowing through you, hallelujah. And you're smiling. They look at you like, what's wrong with this guy? Hallelujah. It's everything right with this guy, hallelujah. That's what it is. And they ask you and you talk and you begin to share and they're like, there's something different about you. You always have life, praise God. You're not joining us by the water cooler complaining about our boss. You are there, you are doing your job, and you're doing it with joy, praise God, because there's something, and what is it about you? And you begin to talk, and you're like, I know you may not believe this. In fact, I know you don't believe this. But it's Jesus, hallelujah. He's rescued me, and I have life because I am in that garden of Eden. Hallelujah. I'm in the garden, and that garden is in me, and that river is flowing. Praise God. Now they still might look at you like a little, oh, I don't get that. And that's okay. But you see, they will notice something by being in your presence. Because those that are thirsty and those that are dry and in a desert place, have you ever been that way when you've been working outside and sweating in the heat and laboring for hours and you've realized, I haven't had anything to drink, I'm so thirsty. And you go over and you turn on that tap, well maybe some don't, but you know, turn on the tap and the water and you just put your hands in the tap with the waters flowing and it's like your body is going, oh, water. And you just, it's like your fingers are drinking the water in. And then you get a glass, or you may skip the glass, and you just cup it and put it up to your face. It's so refreshing. And those that are around you that don't have the Holy Ghost, that don't have the Spirit of God, even if Christians are dry because they haven't been in touch with the Holy Ghost, and all of a sudden you come into their midst, and He's flowing out of you. You are that oasis, and they... They just come up to you. They want to be next to you. They want to be near to you because you have that water of life flowing in you. Hallelujah. And they get near to you and they're like, There's, I just want to reach out and touch you. Praise God. Like they did with Jesus. Hallelujah. And you know what happened? The sick were healed. The dead were raised. The lame walked. Praise God. Why? Because there's a river of life flowing out of him. Hallelujah. And Peter had it as well. Peter, he said, well, just get in reach of his shadow. That's because that river was flowing and flowing and flowing. They didn't have to even come out and touch him. They just got within reach. And that overflow of life was so close, they could just it just spilled out over top of them, praise God. And the sick were healed and devils were cast out. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 
This is our inheritance. This is our lot, praise God. This is what we have in Christ Jesus. Every single believer. Well, what do I have to do? What a, believe in Him. Put your confidence in Him. Put your trust in Him. And let that river of life flow from within you, praise God. Can you say amen to that this morning? Hallelujah. Thank you for listening today. We hope you have been strengthened and encouraged by the message you've heard. To hear more from our pastors or to learn more about Celebration Life Church, you can visit our website at celebrationlife.ca. You can contact us by phone at 604-594-7327 or you can write to us at